Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I have no guest. Uh, it's going to be a solo mission. I've been a bit ill last week, so, but I think my voice is pretty much recovered now, so uh, hopefully this goes well. So, today I'm going to be telling you about a Canadian murderer known as Luca Magnotta. Um, it's also going to be a sober mission, as I am still ill. So I, so yeah, I'm drinking chai tea today, <laughs> and I think that's, I don't think I have much else today, so, um, I guess we're going to cut to a promo and get straight into it, and I'll probably remember what I was talking about later. So, this week we've got a promo for uh, Talk Spooky to Me. It's a great podcast name. And also, California Dreaming. So, on that, we'll cut the promos and we'll be right back. Hi! Do you listen to stuff with your ears? Do you laugh at things with your mouth? Do you use podcasts as a proxy for friends? Well, maybe you should check us out, because we got you covered. I'm Leany. And I'm Bunny. And we host a fortnightly podcast called Talk Spooky to Me. Covering all things a little bit spooky. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and all the other podcasting apps. Unless they're shit. <laughs> you can follow us on at TalkSpooky if you want to be friends on Twitter. And by the way, we're British. Yep. <laughs> okay, love ya. And I love spending time with you. Hi, I'm Roseanne, host of the California Dreaming Podcast a show that delves into the darker side of the not-so-golden state. Together, we will visit some of the most unhinged and chilling crimes that ever shook California and beyond. Join me as I take you on a journey into a new story each week with a different backdrop from all around California, from the bright lights and glamour of Hollywood to the picturesque and tranquil wine country. No crime, no town. Nobody is off limits. Listen to California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we are back. So, Luca Magnotta. Let's get into it, shall we? Luca was born as Eric Clinton Kirk Newman on the 24th of July, 1982 in Scarborough, Ontario in Canada. So he was a child of three between Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. And when he was young, his parents uh, separated. So he went to live with his grandmother, Phyllis, who he was quite close to. Though his grandparents would later also divorce. So his, mo- his mother, Anna, had a new boyfriend who Magnotta had a less than ideal relationship with, describing him as a monster. He was also homeschooled for a decent period of time, uh, being told that the world was a dirty and dangerous place. So he... So he even as a youngster, he had a pretty shitty view of the world. And he later go to IE Weldon Secondary School in Lindsay, uh, where he was described as an outcast uh, for, for most of his time there. Now, in 2003, uh, he was about, when he got to about 20 years old, yeah, he, he began appearing in pornographic uh, videos uh, and, uh, and also occasionally worked as a stripper and male escort, later appearing as a pinup model in, in a 2005 issue of Toronto's Fab magazine using the pseudonym Jimmy. Now, 2005 is, where, is also where his, um, his earliest criminal activity uh, started becoming a thing. 
Though we're going to quickly add a couple more things onto his career first, just to get out of the way. So in 2007, he was a unsuccessful competitor in OutTV's reality series Cover Guy, uh, before having multiple cosmetic surgeries and auditioning for the Slice Network television show Plastic Makes Perfect in February, February 2008. But anyway, that's um, his career stuff done. Now let's get into his um, criminal activity, because let's face it, that's what you're here for. So, going back to 2005, he was convicted on one count of impersonalization and three counts of fraud against Sears Canada, The Brick, and 2001 Audio Video, after impersonating a woman to to apply for a credit card and purchasing over $10,000 worth of goods. He pled guilty and received uh, and, and received a nine-month conditional sentence with, uh, with with twelve months of probation before he legally changed his name to Luca Rocco Magnotta on August twelfth, two thousand six. Uh, once uh, March two thousand seven came came along, uh, he declared bankruptcy, uh, owing seventeen thousand dollars in various debts, with bankruptcy being fully discharged in December two thousand seven. Now, this is also around the time where he was also having a lot of plastic surgery, so I think a lot of it was due to that. Um, I didn't go too much into it, so uh, um, there was quite a lot in this case. I don't want to overdo it, but it's, seems to, it seems to line up around there. Now, he'd also show a lot of narcissistic uh, behavior, as will become quite apparent over this. Like, over several years, uh, he'd created many... Pr- a load, loads of profiles on various social media and forums, etc., to plant a load of claims about himself. Yeah, with one of the rumors emerging in 2007, which claimed that he that Magnotta um, was in a relationship with with high-profile convicted murderer, uh, also Canadian, uh, Carla Homolka. Though in a later interview with the Toronto Sun, uh, he would deny this. And during the murder investigation, uh, the Montreal police initially announced that the pair had dated, um, but they soon re- retracted the statement, uh, saying that they uh, had no evidence to corroborate the claim. Along with this relationship, uh, Magnotta uh, repeatedly denied claim- all sorts of claims as hoaxes and a campaign of cyber-stalking against him. And later police would state that uh, he set up at least 70 Facebook pages and um, 20 websites under different names. And according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, Magnotta was also active on white supremacist website Stormfront under two different usernames, including uh, alleged, making alleged comments um, denouncing Chinese people in at least one of them. Now we'll get into the part that made him, that made uh, Magnotta come into the public eye, let's we'll say. So yeah, let's talk about Lin Jun. Also known as Justin Lin, he was an international student from Wuhan uh, who had been studying in Montreal since July 2011 uh, as an undergraduate in the Engineering and Computer Science Faculty at Concordia University. And he also worked as a part-time convenience store clerk at Point St. Charles. Now, on May 1st, he moved into a Griffintown area apartment with a roommate. Some t- now, a few weeks went on, and then... He was last seen on the May the twenty fourth, two thousand and twelve, with his um, friends reporting getting a text message from his phone at nine p.m. His boss also became suspicious when he didn't show up for his shift the next day. Uh, three of his friends went into his apartment on 
May 27th, three days later. And then he was finally reported missing to the police on May 29th. Let's back up a bit again. Um, on the 25th of May 2012. So on the 25th of May 2012, an 11-minute video surfaced on the website bestgore.com titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. Yeah. This video uh, showed a naked male tied to a bed frame being repeatedly stabbed with an ice pick and a kitchen knife before being dismembered, followed by acts of necrophilia. In the video, the perpetrator also used correct acts such as using a knife and fork to cut off some of the flesh uh, and getting a dog to chew on the body, during which the 1987 New Order song, um, True Faith, plays in the background. A more extensive version of the video was obtained by uh, Canadian authorities, um, which led them to say that cannibalism may also have been performed. Uh, materials promoting the video had appeared online about 10 days before the murder took place. The following day, May, May 26, an attorney from Montana attempted to report the video to the Toronto police, his local sheriff and the FBI, but the report was dismissed by officials. Roger Renfield, a civil litigation lawyer told CBC News Thursday that he'd come across the um, 10 and a half minute video on Saturday morning on a website that showcases gory videos um, saying that he believed that the video documented the killing and dismemberment of a man. He said that within a minute or two of the, be of the beginning of the video it depicts one of the men stabbing the other man very obviously. What I saw in that video exceeds your worst nightmare. It's Jeffrey Dahmer-esque. Renville had then began a series of calls to a number of law enforcement agencies in Canada and the United States over the next few days, the next three days, starting with his local sheriff office. Most of agencies were, with the exception of the RCMP, or the, which I believe is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I'm sorry if I'm wrong, Canadians, but that's what I remember it being, and I'm going to stick with it. Not especially, we're not too keen on finding out more about the video. So Renville claimed that he called the that he called the Toronto Police Sunday at around noon, uh, telling them that he'd seen a video that he believed depicted the killing of a man, and that he believed that the apparent killer was from Toronto. He said that the, to quote the officer was very skeptical. He seemed like he didn't even want to talk at first, but we got to talking a little bit, and he suggested that whatever I was seeing must be fake. And he suggested that special effects are pretty good these days and it'd be hard to tell the difference. Hard to tell if it was real or not, sorry. He told me that my story didn't even make sense. Why would a killer film himself and then put it on the internet? He said, that doesn't make sense, that's logical. Best Gore viewers also attempted to report the video, uh, with police later confirming it as, uh, as authentic and identified the victim as an Asian male, as the same one from an upcoming bit. So, May 29, 11am, 2012, a package containing a left foot is delivered to the national headquarters of the Conservative Party of, of Canada. This, the package uh, was stained with blood and had a foul spell. It was marked with a red heart symbol. Another package containing a left hand was intercepted in a Canada Post processing facility addressed to the Liberal Party. One of the quotes I found here... Um, kind of paints the picture of the situation at the time, I think. Uh, it's from the globemail.com and uh, to quote from the article, Police warned that not all of the murder victim, a male, 
has been recovered, but refused to say whether whether they believe more pieces of his body are still in Canada Post's smell system. Shortly after this, a janitor d- discovered a decomposing torso inside a suitcase, left in a garbage pile be- in the alley behind an apartment uh, in the Snowden area of Montreal. He first saw the suitcase on May 25th, a few days before, uh, but it wasn't picked up due to the large amount of garbage on that day. Uh, after searching the scene, police dis- recovered human remains, bloody clothes, papers identifying the suspect, uh, as well as, quote, sharp and blunt objects from the back alley. Footage from surveillance cameras inside the building also showed a suspect bringing numerous garbage bags outside, and images matched the suspect who was captured on video at the post office in quote, ne- the nature's. It's probably right, it's fine. Uh, at 11.33 EDT, Police searched apartment 208 of the building, which McNutter was renting at the time. He'd moved in four months prior, and his rent was paid up to June the 1st, though it was currently empty, with the apartment being mostly emptied before he'd left. Blood was found on different items throughout the uh, apartment, uh, including the mattress, the refrigerator, the table, and the bathtub. Written on red ink inside of a closet was... If you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. I don't care. On May 30th, it was confirmed that the body parts belonged to the same individual, identified as Lin Jun. The suspect in the case was quickly identified as McNutter, who had by then fled. Back to the package that was sent to the Conservative Party. Uh, the package also had a note saying, Six body parts had been distributed and the perpetrator would kill again. The other three packages also contained notes, but their contents were undisclosed by police, who cited their concerns about possible copycat crimes. Once June 5th rolled around, a package containing a right foot was delivered to St. George's School, and another package containing a right hand was uh, sent to False Creek Elementary School in Vancouver, in British Columbia. So, uh, that's super fucked up, guys. Don't send body parts to schools, please. Don't send them anywhere, actually. Just don't... Try to be in a situation where you own... Where you have body parts, please. But, yeah. So, um... Both both schools did open as normal the next morning. And it was confirmed that both packages were sent from Montreal. Yeah, on June 13th, the four limbs and torso matched to Lynn using DNA samples from his family. And on July 1st, a tip-off led to his head being recovered at the edge of a small lake... In Montreal's Angrignon Park, after after police received a anonymous tip, his Lynn's body was finally cremated on July the 11th, and its ashes were buried on July 26th at Notre Dame des Neiges Cemetery in Montreal. An arrest warrant for Magnotta was issued by the Service de Police de la Ville de Montreal, before which was later upgraded to a Canada-wide warrant by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, I was right, um, which accused him of the following crimes. First-degree murder, committing an indignity to a dead body, publishing obscene material, mailing obscene, indecent, immoral, or scurrilous material, and, finally, criminally harassing Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and several members of Parliament, which were unnamed. On the 31st of May 2012, Interpol 
issued a red notice from Magnossa at the request of Canadian authorities, and for several days both before and after his arrest, his name and photo were displayed at the top of the homepage of the Interpol website. The red notice requested that Magnossa be provisionally arrested pending extradition back to Canada by any Interpol member state. Now, after this, it was discovered that Magnotta had booked a ticket for a flight from Montreal to Paris on May 25th using a passport with his own name. After his arrival in France, his cell phone signal was traced to a hotel in in Bagnolet, uh, but he had left by the time police arrived. In the hotel room were were pornographic magazines and an air sickness bag. Magnotta used a false passport with the name Kirk Trammell at the hotel and had contacts in Paris after a f- previous visit in 2010, police were following up with a large-framed man who had been in, pre- in contact with Magnotta previously. Another man that uh, he had stayed with for two nights didn't realise who he was until he'd left, which is super scary. And Magnotta then boarded a Eurolines bus at the Bagnolet coach station bound for Berlin in Germany. On June 4th, 2012, Magnotta was apprehended by Berlin police at an internet cafe in the New Colin district, uh, while reading news stories about himself. He tried giving fake names uh, before admitting who he was, and his identity was confirmed through, ev- through fingerprint evidence. He d- later appeared on- in a Berlin court on June the 5th, 2012, and according to German officials, did not oppose his extradition, as there was enough evidence to keep him in custody until extradition, so he agreed to a simplified process. On June 18, 2012, Magnossa was delivered to Canadian authorities in Berlin and was flown aboard a Royal Canadian Air Force CC-150 Polaris to Mirabel International Airport, north of Montreal. Yeah, this was basically one of their largest aircraft. And this cost $376,000, with the National Defence later releasing more than 1,700 pages of emails documenting the cost of his repatriation along with the debate over options and the scramble to whisk him home uh, after he agreed to the extradition in case he changed his mind. These messages also gave a look into government efforts to keep details of sensitive missions out of the public spotlight, the dis- with stuff like the def- decision to involve the Royal Canadian Air Force um, being discussed at the upper levels of the country's political and military ranks. Reactions in China were highly critical too, uh, with... M- some believing that the murder was racially motivated. Uh, I'm not sure how well known it was that him posting on white supremacist websites about stuff like that um, at the time. But um, this was also the second high-profile murder of a Chinese student in slightly every year, with um, with the previous April having showing the death of Lu Qian uh, being killed in Toronto. So this led to the Chinese questioning... Uh, public safety in Canada. Now, according to Globe and Mail's uh, Beijing-based reporter Mark McKinnon, um, the story uh, dominated internet discussions in the country at the time. Lin's personal account on Weibo, which is a, uh, which is like the main Chinese social networking site, I think, being the most searched for page on the Sina.com portal, and a number two search being for latest news on the case. On the 4th of June 2012, Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper said that he was pleased that the suspect had been arrested and congratulated police forces on their good work in apprehending him. Interim Liberal Party leader Bob Ray said that Canadians should mourn the victim rather than in any way, shape or form celebrate McNutter's notoriety. Which, 
I'd agree with entirely. Two days later, Lin Jun's family arrived at Trudeau Airport in Montreal um, with the Chinese Students and Scholars Association of Concordia University establishing a fund to defray expenses incurred by Lin's family while in Canada, uh, and an award was created in his honour. A candlelight vigil was also held in Montreal. One, another thing that caused a lot of controversy in this was McNossa being named Canadian Newsmaker of the Year by the Canadian press, which, needless to say, people weren't happy about. And on July 16, 2013, Edmonton Police charged Bestcore.com owner Mark Marrick with corrupting public morals, which is a rarely used obscenity charge, for posting the One Lunatic, One Ice Pick video online. Yeah, and in January 2016, towards the end of the month, um, Marrick ch- changed his plea to guilty and was sentenced to a six-month conditional sentence after a joint submission from the Crown and Defence, um, serving half of his six-month sentence under, ha- under house arrest. Now, getting to the trial, um, Magnossa elected to be tried by a jug- by judge and jury, uh, pleading not guilty. He admitted to the acts of which he was accused of doing, but claimed diminished responsibility due to mental, disor- to mental disorders. Crown attorney Louis Boutillier uh, made his opening statement on September 29, 2014. Quebec Superior Court Justice Guy Cournoyer uh, presiding over the trial, which lasted 10 weeks. On the opening day, he instructed jurors that Magnossa admits, quote, admits the acts or the conducts underlying the crime for which he is charged, your task will be to determine whether he committed the five offences with the required state of mind for each offence. Now, six tools consisting of a pair of scissors, two knives, a screwdriver, an oscillating saw and a hammer were recovered from outside McDonald's apartment and analysed by ballistics expert Gilbert Desjardins, Though he said that none could definitively none could be definitively linked to the killing, um, and no skeletal marks suggested a screwdriver or scissors were used, but some were consistent with saw and knife or exacto blade injuries. During the trial, defense attorney Luke Leclerc uh, argued that Magnossa was in a psychiatric was in a psychiatric state at the time of the crimes and couldn't be held responsible for his actions. The Crown Prosecutor argued that the murder of Jean Lin was organised and premeditated and that McNossa was purposeful, mindful, and ultra-organised and ultimately responsible for his actions. McNossa chose not to testify during the trial. So, um, during the trial, defence witnesses provided evidence that Luca McNossa had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia as a teenager. Defence expert Dr. Joel Watts testified that Magnotta showed signs of, ex- of, of episodic schizophrenia, undifferentiated type, histri- histrionic personality disorder, borderline personality traits and paraphilia, not always specified, and um, the prosecution also revealed that Magnotta had been using illegal drugs during his teenage years, which led to symptoms that mimicked schizophrenia. And he had also been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder by crown expert Dr. Joel Paris at Jewish General Hospital uh, in Montreal in April 2012. Dr. René Joy, uh, the forensic psychiatrist who had been treating McNutter at Riviere's de Prairies detention centre since November 2012, um, through his preliminary hearing and right up to the murder trial, diagnosed Magnotta with borderline personality disorder with histrionic features. 
Dr. Gilles Chamberlain, another Crown expert who was not able to interview Magnotta, diagnosed him with antisocial, histrionic and narcissistic personality disorder. And a number of psychiatrists over the years have noted that Magnotta displayed antisocial, borderline, histrionic and narcissistic traits. The prosecution accused Magnotta of pretending to be schizophrenic since the defence pled diminished responsibility due to alleged schizophrenia. Let me go, let me wreck on that a bit. Uh, after a 12-week trial, it was 10 weeks of hearing testimony. A jury of eight women and four men re- received final instructions from the trial judge on December 15, 2014, and was sequestered before beginning its deliberations the next day. On the eighth day of deliberation, they returned a verdict of guilty on all charges, with Magnotta receiving a mandatory life sentence, um with a minimum of 25 years without parole, also being sentenced to 19 years for other charges to be served concurrently. Magnotta applied for an appeal for the convictions to be annulled and a new trial ordered. The appeal was filed with the Quebec Court of Appeal by Magnotta's defence counsel, Luc Leclerc, citing judicial error in jury instruction. The appeal further claimed that the, quote, verdicts are unreasonable and unsupported by the evidence and instructions. Magnotta would then re- would later re- withdraw his appeal on February 18, 2015. Uh, Magnotta is also alleged to be a, the person behind a series of videos of animal cruelty uh, involving cats, which were posted on YouTube beginning in 2010, which I won't go too into the details of because we don't need that right now. And also my voice is dying, so uh, I'm going to try and wrap this up. <laughs> um, but uh, the videos included titles such as One Boy, Two Kittens and, uh, quote, Python Christmas. Um, though it's not certain just as to how much exactly he was... Um, responsible for these, though he was identified in January 2010 um, as the person in the videos by a private Facebook group, um, and animal rights activist groups subsequently offered a $5,000 reward for bringing him to justice. He was also um, involved, uh, he was also investigated for the dentence of murder and decapitation of Harvey Medlin, um, known as the Hollywood sign murder, but this was later... Canadian police um, announced that he wasn't uh, in, yeah, that they didn't believe that he was involved in, in the crime. The animal rights group Last Chance Animals um, claimed responsibility for posting YouTube videos linking him to the Hollywood sign murder in an attempt to lure him into contacting them. The LCA also offered a $7,500 reward for the information leading to his arrest while he was still on the run. Though on November 16, 2015, Gabriel Campos Martinez was sentenced to 25 years to life for the for the Hollywood sign murder. The case also uh, drew comparisons um, across North America to Mark Twitchell, who was a convicted murderer inspired by Dexter, who used social media in his crimes and to self-promote his work. Um, author Steve Lilleburn who wrote a book on the case, described a new trend in crime where social media allowed killers to become online broadcast... Uh, to become 
quote online broadcasters and have direct instant access to a global audience that they may crave. There's actually quite a lot of articles you can find about about this guy um, just through Google or... But I think that's... But I've gotten all the main pieces out on this on this story and it's super fucked up. Um, I haven't watched the video recently but I do remember... I do recall catching a glimpse when it was a thing, I guess the way it is, and I don't wish to see it again, so I'm not going to. So, um, I know the gist of it. Let's leave it at that. Being a, I, I do remember it was still a big story uh, at the time. But yeah, so that was Luca Rocca Magnotta, the murderer of Lin Jun. Um, yeah, so we'll cut to music and be right back and we'll wrap up. And we are back. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed the story today. I'm sorry if it wasn't as great as normal, but, um... I'm still kind of feeling the effects of illness, and I wasn't sure if I'd get an episode out at all. But hopefully, it worked out enough, like well enough that it's a good episode. If not, hopefully next week. <laughs> uh, but for now, I'm going to wrap up because my throat is dying, um, and it's going to be fun to edit. Yeah, shoutouts this week. Um, I'm gonna go for. Let me think. I'm gonna go for Cult of Domesticity and All Bad Things podcasts uh, for being guests in recent episodes. So, yeah, thank you, Courtney, David, and Rachel for those. Yeah, Courtney's episode was titled Death Camps and Melonheads, while uh, my episode with All Bad Things was titled Bad Blood Waterworks. So, you should definitely go check them out. Um, and also check out their podcasts because they're great so uh, on that uh, let me think, let me think, let me think cool thing of the week I'm going to say for helping me get through the last week of illness my cool feeling week is going to be Lemsip um, so thank you sweet, sweet cold medicine <laughs> And yeah, and also Dragon Ball Super for me, a great binge buddy. Um, because I have watched far more of that in the last week than I should have. And uh, on that uh, social media, we have Facebook um, at facebook.com slash blood on the rocks. Uh, we've also got a Facebook group uh, that you can join uh, for conversations and bits and pieces like that. Um... We have Twitter at the Bloody Rocks, and we also have email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. And on that, I think we're done, and I will see you next week, hopefully with a more perfect voice than this one. <laughs> and on that, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and... Yeah. Bye, guys. Thank you.